you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Along with me is Adam Dravetta. We're joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports in about 35 minutes from right now before we get into some KU basketball talk uh, Odell Beckham Jr. saga continues on right now and there was a report from Adam has, this is this is Schrodinger's free agent signing he has both signed with the Rams and he has not signed with the Rams <laughs> yeah Schefter tweeted that he did sign with the Rams and it was posted on the Rams team website and now there are conflicting reports saying he has not signed from Jacina Anderson and, and some other people saying that he's still on the fence, that could still go to, you know, another team, the Packers or Saints and Chiefs have been in on him too. So I don't know what the heck is going on. Um, maybe this is just something where he just, like, uh, there's some small intricacy in the contract that needs to be worked out or something. But that would be very interesting because the Rams have not been a team we have heard has been interested in Odell Beckham Jr., and on top of that, it's not like the Rams need another receiver, right? Like, they have Cooper Cup, who is literally, like, we're going to do our NFL midseason betting report coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Cooper Cup is the favorite in the NFL to win Offensive Player of the Year. And they also have Robert Woods, and Van Jefferson's been really good in year two for them. Like, they don't need another receiver. I was actually just, it's funny you brought that up. We had a, we, we've apparently... Over the well, we've been together now for six or seven weeks or so. Apparently, our minds have linked because my first thought was that really might change who my uh, MVP pick is going to be once uh, that midseason bet comes around. Because that's <laughs> if they if they actually wind up do adding him, adding him, then then that's really going to make Stafford look even better. Yeah, it is. So a uh, dangerous team. I mean, the Rams are already really good, and who knows? Uh, I guess we'll update you if that does officially happen. Because right now. Again, we don't really know what's going to go on with that, but that would not uh, mean he would be going to the Chiefs, which would be, I guess, of note there. Uh, I yeah, we'll we'll, we'll we'll whenever it becomes official, we'll talk about our. Mm-hmm. We had conflicting, I, like neither of us were one hundred percent set in our opinions. You were probably leaning yeah a little more wanting him. I was leaning a little more against wanting him, but I think neither both of us were probably in a position where if they they got him, the Chiefs got him. I wasn't going to be distraught. And if they didn't get him, you weren't going to be distraught. But yeah, there's not like a party one way or another either. Um, Anyway, I I did want to talk some KU basketball here. KU takes on Tarleton State tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Pre-game will be at 530 here on KLWN. We'll have your uh, high school games over on 929thebowl and bowl929.com. Quick quick note about that, Mm -hmm. sorry. Uh, Our... um, my pregame show along that you're used to hearing yes. with uh, Cole Cedabutar, uh, we will not be having that tomorrow because of the, the conflict. I'm, I'm sure uh, most of you are heartbroken about that. I'm <laughs> sure hearing me over um, the third-ranked Jayhawks is something you're gonna that's going to hurt you, but you're going to have to miss it. I'm sorry. Mm, yeah, real, real shame. Um, but 
we'll get to see more of those KU guards. And and I mentioned on Wednesday how impressive Ochag Baji and Remy Martin was. Uh, I think the other big takeaway, so was uh, the depth of the bench and really some of the young players on the bench. Um, but I'm really curious, how much does what Dewan Harris did and just the style of player he is, how much does that open things up for Remy Martin? Because we saw Remy Martin in the first half be a guy who was more of a facilitator. He was just kind of, you know, running through the offense and letting things happen. He wasn't forcing anything in the second half. You saw him kind of take over at times. He scored 15 points in the second half. And I just wonder how much Dewan Harris being a guy who can, you know, be a really good defender and doesn't have to necessarily score and can help facilitate the offense as well, bring the ball up with you as well, take some pressure off of you. I wonder how much that helps a guy like Remy Martin. Yeah, I actually wondered uh, that, and that's a good point. I wonder if because of that, I'd be interested, in, and, and nobody asked this to self today during his, his media session, but I would love to know if, if he had a discussion at halftime with Remy Martin because the topic has been, is Remy Martin going to buy in? Not necessarily that he was a, a bad guy or a problem guy. Nobody thought that. It was just going to be his adjustment to being coached by Bill Self versus being coached by um, Bobby Hurley when he was at, at Arizona State, and just the different styles. How was how that going to mesh? And I wonder if his passivity in the first half was because he wanted to show, look, here, I'm willing to do this. Mm -hmm. And then a part of me wonders if Self had a talk with him that says, hey, all right, we know you're willing to do this. We actually need you to be more aggressive now. Um, I didn't see any one shot. Well, he actually had a shot, I think, that went in from the elbow that kind of made it yeah, it was like a fading jumper that kind of made mm -hmm. me go, dude. And then it wound up rolling in. That it was <laughs> I think a lot beautiful. of those this year for Remy Martin. Um, but, uh, in, yeah, in, that's actually a great point. He's not going to if, – if he if he can – how can I put this? If Dewan's pass, passing and, and his driving and, and breaking things down gives them more threats, then that means there's going to be need to there, – there will need to be fewer times in which Remy needs to take over by himself. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then I just think that, that – adds to the possibility of those times being successful. Like, if you don't constantly need to rely on him, then those times when he does take over, I think are more likely to be successful. And honestly, the more I think about it, I wonder if it's even the other way around, where, like, having Remy Martin on the court allows Dewan Harris to be his best self. Because with having that scoring guard on the court that can, you know, just go off and hit crazy shots at any moment in time or... Uh, be a guy who the shot clock's winding down. We need somebody to create either for others or for themselves. Having that guy maybe allows you to give a longer leash. Dewan Harris played 35 minutes in that game. And with, you know, I, I think he's improved as a shooter. We didn't see it in, in the game on, on Monday, but that sounded like it was definitely the case over offseason from just talking to different players and coaches. We definitely saw the improvement between uh, the Emporia State game and that game, just in terms of him being a little bit more aggressive and driving, getting to the rim, and at least scoring on occasion where you got to keep the defense honest. And, and I think still, though, you are more of a passing point guard who's a defensive point guard. And that's all good and well, but if there's not other scoring threats out there for you, then that doesn't that doesn't fit as much into the rotation. But the fact that you do have a guy like Remy Martin next to Dewan Harris... I think that really opens up Dewan's game 
to be able to do everything he does to the max. I think Dewan Harris is probably more talented offensively than uh, Marcus Garrett was, mm -hmm. but I think what you're seeing right now is what last year would have looked like if they didn't need Marcus Garrett to do so much on the offensive mm -hmm. end. Now, I, I do, again, I think, I, and this isn't a knock on Garrett. I think Garrett, we all know, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody disliked Garrett as a KU fan. He was tremendous. But I think he was limited offensively in what he was capable of doing, especially when you factor in the, the, the point guards he followed, Devon Dotson, uh, you know, Devontae Graham, Frank Mason. You know, he wasn't there where Dewan Harris is, at least from a, a driving standpoint and a passing standpoint, he's right up there with those guys. And I think you're absolutely right. He's more able to do that. So I think what you're seeing right now is exactly what – this is the most Dewan Harris, the the best version of Dewan Harris because of um, he's not, nope, we're not going to need him. KU is not going to need him to score at, at any given moment. He's he's capable of putting up 10 points, 12 points, so the defense goes, we can't just leave him alone. Um, but he doesn't need to do that, and that's huge. Yeah, and, and I don't know what the long-term sustainability of them playing together is. I know... There was a comment from Bill Self about uh, he doesn't know how, how much that'll work in long spurts because you have two shorter guards. Um, but I guess no matter what, if if KU wants to play two like ball handlers together this year, when you look at the crop of players that would be, Bobby Pettiford is, God, you know. He was good. He was really good, but I, he's not a, a tall guard. Yeah. And Same I'm, with Joe I'm, Yesifu. I'm trying to, to, to hold back on, with my excitement on Pettiford, I, I was guilty with Ochai Abaji of going over the top uh, in that game where he came off, they took off his red shirt, and mm. he, he was really good. And I, I my expectations for him because of that opening performance, because I had no expectations and his opening performance was so good, I probably went a little too high on Ochai Abaji um, and put undue expectations on him for, for the age that he was. And I, I'm trying to not do that with Bobby Pettiford, but I had so... I didn't have no expectations for Pettiford. I just didn't know. Yeah. And going in not knowing when he came in and, and really looked incredible. Um, I'm trying to not get too high on him, but golly, he was good. He was. And and just, I think, the trust you're already seeing from Bill Self. But anyway, the point you have with, with Pettiford, who really good, Joe Yesifu, who I think we expect more than, than what he got in that game. And I just kind of view him as being a... Classic bench guy that can come in, and on any given night, he can give you 15, 20 points, but it's not going to happen every given night, so it just kind of depends there. But no matter which combination of those guards, they all have talent in their in their certain skills. You're not going to have a combination if you want to play two together, which, which have a lot of size, but I just think it's interesting. Like, if you do have a matchup with Michigan State, maybe we won't see as many of those two-guard lineups next to each other. I think against other teams, maybe it's a little bit more viable, and certainly when Jalen Wilson comes back, it becomes another conversation of, like, when Jalen Wilson comes back, who do you view as being the guy that's going to go to the bench? I mean, immediately, I'd like, I think... I, I got it's it's gonna be weird because I don't think anyone's just gonna slide up, so I would say just Christian Brown. Mm. Uh, but but the thing that that holds me off of that is is Bill Self and you mentioned this that quote about he doesn't know if it's sustainable to to have Remy Martin and Dewan Harris um, together that much. He he mentioned directly their size was the reason, mm -hmm. and so that could tell me that it could be Remy Martin coming off the bench. Um, 
But I just don't know. And it's hard, and this is a good problem to have, it's hard to sit there and say this guy should play and this guy shouldn't because they all look so good. So maybe I take that back. Maybe I say it's somebody like Dewan because he's such a good ball handler. Um, and Remy goes and sits. But I, I just, that, excuse me, um, that looked so good watching Pettiford and Remy together, Remy and Harris together, Harris and Pettiford together. That just looked so good. And it's been really so long since we've seen just such a smooth KU offense. Uh, it, it's hard for me to envision something different right now. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And there's more games for them to figure this out. Obviously, you have the Tarleton State game and the Stony Brook game, and then you have all those practices in between. So realistically, you have a couple weeks to figure this out and, and more performances to come that are going to heavily impact them. Um, but if we just base it on that first game, it becomes really hard. But like you said, like Christian Brown, that maybe that would make the most sense based on if you just based it on performance of game one. I mean, certainly... That would make the most percent uh, or most sense if I mean, you were he, just basing it that he didn't score a bunch, but he led the team in rebounds. Yeah, and, and self loves that. But that's exactly what you could expect Jalen Wilson to do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we all talked about what a great rebounder he was last year. Yeah, but then at the same point in time, like if if we're just looking at like minutes played, which I don't know, you could argue yes, that is a big part of or a big proof, I guess, to come out of Bill Self trusting a player. And Christian Brown played more minutes than Remy Martin in that game, but how much of that was because Bill Self trusted Christian Brown or thought Christian Brown was playing better or thought Christian Brown was doing certain things than Remy Martin, or was that just a, a case of, hey, we don't have Jalen Wilson, so somebody has to play these four minutes, and, like, Christian Brown is, it, it's him or, you know, K.J. Adams for a few minutes here or there. It might have just been a thing of necessity that Christian Brown played so many minutes. I mean, you're talking mid-30s minutes for Christian Brown. If we're to take just the direction of, I think that's where it is for me. It's either Christian Brown or Remy Martin. Yeah, I I would be surprised if it's Dewan Harris uh, because for the exact reason you said, this team kind of has a lot of scorers, but Dewan seems to be really, really good at breaking down a defense and passing, and that has been such an important thing in a Bill Self offense for a point guard to be able to do and defend. Uh, defend is a huge, huge deal. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would lean. It's so weird to say Christian Brown should should be the one who sits, but I, I would lean that way just because I, I loved what I saw so much against Michigan State. My thought is, well, if you plug in Jalen Wilson, you're probably getting – a better version of what Christian Brown brought in that Michigan State game, uh, and that would mean everything else would jump up a notch too. But I don't know. The self-quote about not not really feeling like Harris and Martin together because of their size is very sustainable um, might lead us to believe that Remy's going to be sitting. Yeah, and again, if you're just basing it off minutes, um, Remy Martin played less minutes than those other guys. He was still in the 20s, and... Uh, both Christian and, and Dewan were in the 30s. So if that's an indication, then that might be the case. But like I said, there's still a couple games for them to uh, try to figure this out. All right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty joins us in about 20 minutes. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved 
here in local sports. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson on KLWN, KLWN.com, or listening in the future on the Best of RCST podcast. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joins the show now. Uh, Kevin, the Champions Classic now concluded. KU victorious over Michigan State. I, I thought yesterday, uh, for me, on the show, the biggest takeaways were Ochai looking like a superstar, Remy Martin, uh, his just kind of style of play, and then what you got from the bench, specifically some of those young freshmen off the bench. Let, let's start with what Ochai looked like. How, how much of his performance, because we've seen before Ochai go off for high-scoring performances and, and shooting the ball well that leads to a 20-25 point game, but what about Tuesday night's action was different that makes you think maybe this is a different version of Ochai Baji that could be kind of a, an All-American level player? I think Self put it best when he said that Ochai had had those kinds of performances, but maybe never on that sort of stage or, or against that level of opponent. You know, I, I think, you know, obviously he did it against uh, Oklahoma last year when Oklahoma was a, was a second round NCAA tournament team. And, and honestly, Michigan State may be around that level. Uh, but I think the other thing to, to watch, Derek, that I haven't seen necessarily mentioned a ton, um, is Ochai has set a career high now in scoring in two of his last four games. You know, he, he had the 26 against Oklahoma. Then he came out and scored 21 against Eastern Washington. And, you know, he, he had a pretty solid game in that one, even though a lot of the focus, uh, and perhaps rightfully so, was on David McCormick coming off the bench and playing re- really well in that one. He struggled pretty much like just, about everybody did against USC and then he drops 29. And so, you know, to me, you can almost string a a lot of that together, even though three of those games were at the end of last season, because I don't think that we're talking about, you know, sometimes when you do something like that, you're talking about, Oh, here are three or four games where this guy shot well, or three or four games, whatever. And I thought Bill self maybe put it the best when he said, that the biggest step that Ochai, Ochai Abaji could take would be to play like an assassin. And he said that he played like that on Tuesday night, had that mentality. And now all of a sudden we've got a three-game stretch probably out of four where Abaji is playing with that level of confidence and he's playing with that mentality, which I think is maybe even different than saying, hey, he's, He's showing a better skill set or, or whatever. And, yes, he, he did show some more things off the dribble and, you know, off the dribble pull-up and, and things like that. But I think the biggest thing is just Abaji playing with that level of confidence and that mindset. And all of a sudden, it's not just a one-game thing. If you look back toward the end of last year, it's a situation where you can say, okay, Abaji scored 20 or more points in three of the last four games that confidence and that ability to believe in himself and everything, it may really be taking off at this point. With Remy Martin, it almost felt like, I don't know, the opposite of the assassin comment. Like It was like, no, be more patient out there. And then he was an assassin at points in in the second half, obviously. Uh, So what do you kind of think of, of his role? Is that kind of how you envision what Bill Self was looking for? out of Remy Martin in that game, and and how much do you think that is going to be the case moving forward? 
Well, I don't know that Bill Self is going to envision Remy Martin not taking a shot in the first half. <laughs> I think, uh, from what I remember, and you know, and I was there. I think I know Kansas played eleven players in the first half, and I think the only two who didn't take any shots were KJ Adams, who checked in with what three or four seconds left before the end of the half, and Remy Martin, who obviously <laughs> played it. Uh, a lot more time. And so I, I don't see anything about that being, uh, being what he he's looking for, but in the second half, you know, was a lot more aggressive. And uh, I think, I do think that Martin has a chance, not necessarily to be an off and on guy, but to be a microwave for this team and, and be somebody who, whether he's coming off the bench, whether he's starting, you know, it is the type of guy that can score 10 points in five minutes and really help carry that offense. And so that part of Tuesday night's performance, I think, is definitely something that he can replicate. The The one thing I do wonder about, you know, with regard to Remy and with regard to everything else, you know, I asked Bill Self about Dewan Harris after the game. And one of the things that he had said was he said, you know, Dewan Harris is our point guard. He is our, you know, our, I think he said our security blanket. And that was very interesting for him to put it that way to me, Derek, because yes, he's talked about how right now he likes his two guard lineups, but projecting forward, where does that leave this team when Jalen Wilson comes back? Mm-hmm. Because are, are you still going to have two guards and then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're sitting somebody like Christian Brown. Does it mean that Jalen Wilson's going to come off the bench? Does it mean that, you know, Remy Martin's somebody that could be pushed back if he doesn't turn things around? Because I don't think there's any doubt that Jalen Wilson is one of the three or four best players on this team. And so I'm very interested to see how how self handles that, especially if he does see Dewan Harris being that valuable. And Dewan Harris played the second most minutes on Tuesday night behind uh, behind Ochai Abaji. So that's something to watch as well with with Remy Martin is how maybe his role changes when Jalen Wilson returns. Yeah, we were we were talking about that in the open, and Adam was leaning toward Christian Brown being the guy who'd come off the bench. I think I was leaning toward Remy Martin, but obviously what happens in these next couple games will probably more so determine that and, and what happens in the, the coming weeks of practice as well. Um, although maybe Jalen, like you said, comes off the bench at least uh, at first and you kind of just sort it out that way. Um, but it is interesting to me as well with the guards playing together, like with Dewan and Remy, I, I would just think that Bill Self, and you think about his best teams, it's had those two guards playing together, that he would want Dewan and Remy playing together or you know whatever mismatch of guards with Bobby Pettiford, Joe Yesifu, and those other two guys. I would just think he would want two of those guards playing together as much as possible. Yeah, and I, I think even beyond the two guards thing, I think playing Ocha Abaji at the three helps him out too because his athleticism plays way, way up. Because in college, you do go against two-guard lineups quite a bit. And when you do that, it, it's not that Ocha is a bad athlete at the two, but if you're comparing... Ochai at six five, you know, two fifteen or or whatever he is, against a team that that is rolling with two, you know, six foot or or you know, six one or six two guards. You know, there are times where maybe he is going to be a similar athlete or or maybe even at 
a quickness deficit to the other guy that, that the other team is putting out there. You put him at the three, and all of a sudden, you know, there aren't a whole lot of threes, I feel like, out there that are significantly better athletes than Ochai if they are better athletes at, at all. And so I think that helps, too, when you sort of move that that up and, and adds to the quickness. But obviously the, the main takeaway there, as you were saying, is – Kansas has a lot of really good smaller guards this year. And, and while Bill Self was saying that, hey, we don't necessarily want to be a team that has that deep of a rotation, you know, all season or, or by the end of the year or whatever else, it's really sort of tough to see a situation where, you know, one of those four players really gets pushed out because, you know, one of the things that, that Self said on Tuesday was that he would find minutes for Bobby Pettiford, and that would seem to indicate that whether Pettiford is, you know, is one of the top three guards or not, that Bill Self believes in him and wants to get him to be part of that rotation. And so, you know, you're you're talking about all four of those guards finding a major role, in it, and I do think that that's a situation where Kansas is maybe, you know, in a really good spot if they do decide to to play more small ball. And it, and it seemed to pay off against Michigan State quite a bit. Do you think there's ever a situation in which Ochai, on the topic of his potential quickness disadvantage defending a, a traditional two, do you think there's ever a situation in which Ochai might be playing something like a traditional two on offense and they just go back and have him guard the other team's three at the other end of the floor? Yeah, I mean, they, there's definitely situations where they could do that. I think the biggest the biggest things that you have to watch out for in those areas are, you know, in transition. You know, you have to let your your guy who's guarding a a three in that situation, or your guy who's guarding a two in that situation. You know, you you have to let that guy know that hey, you you got to watch out for this guy in in transition in the way that they're going to run. And so flipping, it does happen. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think, and again, it, it's not necessarily that Ochai is going to be significantly, you know, less athletic than a whole lot of people out there. It's more that when he's at the three, his athleticism plays up a lot more. I, I think, you know, you're looking at him having, you know, an extreme advantage in that category as opposed to maybe a, a minor disadvantage. But, yeah, there are definitely some possibilities that you can do there. And and one of the things, you know, in that same, you know, sort of thing that you're talking about is you could see, you know, sort of a similar switch with somebody like Zach Clements, you know, maybe defending, you know, playing a four on one end and defending a five on the other. And so there are different things that you could do with, with guys in terms of having them defend who they can match up with as opposed to, you know, hey, you're a six eight guy, go guard a six eight guy type of thing. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of twenty four seven sports here. If you had to power rank real quick all four teams who were at the Champions Classic, how would you list those out? Uh that that one's pretty easy for me. I think I'd go Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, Michigan State. You know, I, I think Duke's freshmen were were unbelievable and obviously we all expected it for you know from Paulo Bancaro. Uh, but Trevor Keels, I mean, that that guy is, is built like a linebacker. I know Mike Krzyzewski said after the game that he was 230 pounds. 
and uh, and plan the two and really use that to his advantage and just kind of bowled over everybody. I do think Kentucky has some things to be really positive about coming out of that game, even with the loss, just sort of, you know, hey, Kentucky's not usually going to have a situation where Keon Brooks is their four and he's guarding a guy as big and as skilled as Paulo Bancaro where they had to pull him out. And Ty Ty Washington is not typically going to be three for 14. And, and so when you look at some of those things as well as, you know, how some of their guys still have to get used to each other, I do think there are some positives there. Michigan State has to go back to the drawing board, I feel like, a little bit. There were, you know, I do like the fact that A.J. Hogard played the way that he did. And, and maybe, you know, Tyson Walker is not typically going to play as badly as he did. And same with Max Christie. And so maybe you have a little something there, but they've got to figure out those four and five spots. But, but yeah, generally speaking, I, I thought Kansas looked the best out of, out of the four and, and really played well. And then Duke, you know, you wanted Duke to look like a national title contender, you know, based on, on Duke's ranking and where everybody sees them. And I think Duke did that. And so uh, I think Duke fared well, but ultimately, you know, I, I felt like Kansas came away looking like the, the top three team that it was. After the KU game, we got the college football playoff rankings. I did want to talk a little college football with you uh, before we let you go. And, uh, Oklahoma still at number eight. They didn't play last week, so I'm not sure you'd really be expecting them to move up or anything. Uh, but the big thing that's been touted with Oklahoma in the Big 12 is that they don't have any top 25 wins yet. Their best win, Kansas State. Their second best win, maybe against a Texas team who's now uh, lost four straight games. Uh, but they play Baylor this week, and they play them on the road. And despite Baylor losing to TCU, they still are a top 15 team. So, if Oklahoma wins this week, do you think that's going to be enough for them to all of a sudden just jump in like over? I don't know if, if they'll jump ahead of Cincinnati, but I'd certainly think they'd jump over the two Michigan schools. Yeah, I think it's a big opportunity for them, especially since, you know, when you look at Oklahoma's resume, it's it's pretty empty. And so if you're Oklahoma, as weird as it sounds, you know, you're you're kind of really rooting for <laughs> – for Oklahoma State to uh, to keep winning as well, and so you have multiple quality wins because I mean that's been the committee's take on Cincinnati, right? Is it's not that they don't think Cincinnati's good. It's not that um, they don't recognize that hey, Cincinnati's win over Notre Dame is is one of the best wins out there. It's what else does Cincinnati have and. You know, while I think we could all probably come up with some instances where the committee has said one thing about it, one team and another thing about another, I, I do think that Oklahoma is sitting here in a spot where it needs multiple quality wins. And so that's where that Baylor game comes in. It's not just beating a team that's still fairly high in the rankings, doing so on the road and setting yourself up, you know, for down the line where you can say, hey, we had multiple top 15 type wins. Maybe we can jump ahead of Cincinnati at that point. Um, the, and then, you know, the, the other big thing, and I know you didn't ask about this, but I 
the Michigan, Michigan State thing is still just shocking to me as it is to, to everybody else. And I guess that they say, well, Michigan's better statistically and across the board and whatever. They played a week ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they were on the same field. Like this isn't one of those things like I, you know, Oregon had a, a fairly resounding win over over Ohio State, and that game should matter. But I also get that there would be some pushback to that based on on when it happened. That you could look back and say, "Well, okay, Ohio State isn't that same team right now, or won't be that same team heading into the college football playoff because it happened so early in the season." And if they played against today, you know, maybe that would be a, a different deal. But Michigan and Michigan State. Played a week ago, and Michigan State won that game, and the committee is already, you know, throwing that head-to-head matchup in the trash. Which, which is weird because they're not doing it elsewhere. And like to your point on Oregon, Ohio State, like it's not consistent. Like everybody's touting the Oregon, Ohio State as an example. I would go further down the list. Baylor just lost to an unranked TCU team, but stayed in front of BYU despite the fact that BYU probably has a deeper lexicon of of different high-level wins with all the, I don't know, Pac-12 wins and stuff that they got and the Virginia win and so forth that Baylor has. And you could make the argument that if they were going to do that with Michigan, Michigan State, why is BYU not ahead of Baylor for that bad loss to TCU? But Baylor was able to stay there despite the fact they just played BYU a couple weeks ago. That, that, I don't know. That's my biggest gripe. There's just no consistency. Yeah, and that's the toughest thing. And, you know, where the committee has always talked about, hey, we're going to find the best teams. You know, I get that the best team doesn't always win on, on a given Saturday. But when they won last Saturday, it's, it's a little bit tough to, to say that. But, yeah, like you said, you go deeper with it with the Baylor-BYU result. I get that there are excuses out there for Baylor. You know, you don't necessarily know what you're scouting when there's a coaching change, when there's a quarterback change, and the quarterback comes in and and plays as well as he does. So there are some excuses out there for Baylor. But at the same time, it's just absolutely stunning to me that that Michigan and Michigan State can can have that result so recently and and still – you know, the committee just, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And, and like you said, they, they, they didn't do, you know, they didn't do that in other cases. And so sometimes it, that's the tough thing about trying to get a read on where the committee's going, but it does make for tremendous content, huh? Yes, it certainly does. He is Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. We'll talk more college football playoff and college basketball with him coming up in the future weeks. Kevin, thank you so much for the time as always, man. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right, that's Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports joining us here on RCST. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here on RCST. Odell Beckham, now Odell Beck Ram. He is a L.A. Ram. For sure, because at the start of the show, we weren't sure. I got a report from the NFL Network as well. So I think it's officially uh, official now. If they get it wrong, then something's really bad. <laughs> <I> know, right. <laughs> so I, I think it's actually official now. Um, but I guess anything is possible. That I would wanna, be. I know this is an audio medium, but I want to give you an, a visual of what I just witnessed. 
Derek held a stack of papers in his hand going, I have a report <laughs> yeah, right? from the NFL as, though, feel as though the stack yeah. of papers was the report. He was reading it off of his mm-hmm. phone. The stack of papers is for something we'll be doing later in the show, but he was holding it mm-hmm. as though it was, a, it was a wonderful image, and I wish you could have all seen extra, it. Extra, extra. Read it, all yeah, about it. It looked very official. Yeah. Um, so Odell Beckham is going to the Rams, uh, no longer with the Chiefs. Chiefs have. I never was with the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Um, The Chiefs have obviously had some passing woes uh, the past couple weeks. Really, the last three or four weeks. Uh, How much of the passing woes? Because we've kind of talked a little this week. Like I think there's a little blame to be had for everyone. Like maybe the play calling is being too stubborn. Maybe Patrick Mahomes isn't taking enough of of the short routes, and maybe he's dropping back too far, and that's leading to some sack issues. Uh, There's a lot that you can kind of put blame on. How much of the blame? For the offense struggling, specifically the passing offense struggling right now, do you tie to not having a really trustworthy receiver number two? I My instinct wants to put it at, at maybe the biggest reason, but the thing is, man, they, didn't ha- they were on pace to be the greatest offense ever in the first four weeks. <laughs> And even though they were two and two after four weeks, we were talking: Is Mahomes going to get sixty touchdown yeah, passes? And and that wasn't an insane thought. Mm-mm. And I mean, so it, it like they they were on pace to truly want to be one of the best, a better offense than they were in twenty eighteen. Um, so I they didn't have one then. Uh, so I I don't know. Um, I I just I have such a hard time believing that. You know, uh, Andy Reid is really getting stuck. And and look, I know that that the cover two is not the same now as it was in in you know when Tony Dungy was in Tampa Bay. I know that, but you know, I I just I ha- I've never seen Andy Reid get this flummoxed for this long by uh by a defense ever any type. And I you know I I think we all maybe as Chiefs fans, I was probably guilty of this of of dismissing. The poor offensive performance in the Super Bowl as well. They were hobbled on offensive line, and that contributed to it. But um, maybe it was also, you know, a lot of people just looked at that tape, and it, it was more than just the hobbled offensive line. Maybe uh, maybe Tampa just had a really good plan. I, I'll put some of it maybe on uh, – well, not some. I think a lot of it would go on Mahomes um, because he's – you know, I, the, you you can look at if you look at the all twenty two, you can look at some instances in which he has dudes wide open for about eight to ten yards that he's not taking, that he's chucking it over the top. But the question you can ask yourself is, you know, the all twenty two view, as great as it is, it's like a Madden view, yeah, which means you're not seeing what Mahomes is seeing, and Mahomes is not the size of Peyton Manning. Which brings me to my next point. Instead of, I mean, I, I'm fine with the argument that he needs to step up more in the pocket, but at what point do you just say that's not his style? He was ungodly successful. And you adjust without, to that. Exactly. Yeah. That you build your offensive line to be an offensive line that can protect mm-hmm. a guy that does like to get outside the pocket, and you build it that way instead of trying to turn him into something he might not be. Now, look, he he knows he needs to learn to play in the pocket a little more. He does still get happy feet. Um you know, you got to ask the question with with how much of an advantage is it that Tom Brady just physically can't leave the pocket that has forced him to be a good pocket passer? Um, but then you, you just you ask yourself because it's not like he was nobody was saying in 2018 and 2019. Well, yeah, he's a fan, you know he's a great pocket or he's a great passer, 
but what about when he, you know, he, he needs to learn not to roll out. He wasn't good at, he wasn't a good passer in spite of rolling out. He was just a good passer. So at what point do you just say that's just who he is? It's definitely something that needs to go into like the roster building exercise of this. And that's obviously something that everything has always seemed to tie back to Brett Veach and his role in not providing a good enough defense or overpaying certain guys or not getting that number two receiver for the chiefs. Um, so that's always there, but I guess for this year, like, what are you going to do about it? You know, like uh, we can go back and say, well, why did you trade for a run first offensive tackle who was playing a right tackle spot in a run first offense and move him to left tackle? And that's all good and well. And I think it's a valid point to what you're saying, but also it's not going to help this team, whether they do it or not. You can't make any transactions at this point, really, that are going to help that. So I, I don't know what you do at this point, right? Like, do you adjust the way they're playing? Do you wait till the end of the season to do that? I mean, I, I don't know. It just makes it so much harder. But the state of the, the receiver room right now, you have Tyreek Hill, who is just basically being limited for his big play, which is the best thing about him. But the idea of having Tyreek Hill and having the big plays limited, it should make you say as an offense, okay, that means if, if you're going to you know, basically prevent him from having a big play, somebody else should be able to step up and make plays. Travis Kelsey's uh, kind of struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks. We've seen a couple drops here or there from Kelsey, which we don't normally see. Patrick Mahomes hasn't always had the best connection with him. But at the end of the day, you feel like, okay, well, we still have Travis Kelsey. Whoever else has been that other two, uh, other receiver, like we've seen flashes from Byron Pringle, but he's he's more of a possession receiver that's going to make the occasional catch. He's not a true number two receiver. McCole Hardman, just going to either drop or fumble seemingly every play. Josh Gordon is not getting used. He's been so limited, and even in the limited targets he's gotten, outside of like the very first catch he had against the Bills when everybody was like, okay. It's been, I think, a couple interceptions, uh, maybe a drop pass last week. I don't know if that one was considered a drop or not. You just don't really have that other guy. And and I wonder, like going back to the Mahomes side of things, like does not having that other guy, how much does that leave to Mahomes not having as much trust to take those shorter plays, to take those more intermediate routes because he doesn't trust the guy who's going to come up with the catch? Yeah, that's entirely possible. I, I you know, it, it. I think a lot of the the instinct of a lot of people, myself included, is to say, you know, he's just getting frustrated because it was so easy. Well, it looked so easy. He was getting so many big plays, and maybe he's having trouble coming away from that. But it could be simply that he doesn't trust the guy that he would be throwing to underneath. And look, it was it was documented in in the the off season. You know, we talked about how all the receivers come in and Kelsey come in um, to a, a local high school and they work over the offseason. Tyreek Hill was angry that he didn't get selected to the Pro Bowl as a wide receiver, that he was selected as a returner. And so he went up to every single wide receiver at that Pro Bowl and said, hey, what's your workout regimen? What do you do? And he's turned himself into the wide receiver he is now. McCole Hardman, no, I couldn't. I We couldn't make our schedules work for me to come in over the offseason. You're you're playing the guy throwing you the ball is Patrick Mahomes. You work around his schedule, and I think that has a lot to do. We talk about Bill Self's, you know, th you know, trusting players. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just they haven't, you know, for whatever reason they haven't had time or haven't used the time to build a rapport. Uh, and 
he hasn't you know shown in the moments that I still look back to the AFC title game, man, and he had that fumble, and then after that you had Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey coming up to him on the sidelines saying, don't get down, we need you. And everybody looked at that as, wow, those guys are being great teammates. And I agree with that, but I also think at that age, when you've been in the league that long, you shouldn't need that. You shouldn't be, everybody's going to make mistakes, but when you're in the league for three years, you should not be viewed as a guy who, if he makes a mistake, we need to lift him up or else he's going to be out of this entire game. I wonder if, if like, what is the crossing point where we get to a head where finally there is more snaps for Josh Gordon? Like, eventually, we got to that point with Juan Thornhill over Daniel Sorensen. And, and that doesn't mean that, right, like, Daniel Sorensen's still playing, but Juan Thornhill's playing more now. Juan Thornhill's starting over Daniel Sorensen. Uh, we finally got to that point last week with, uh, the linebackers over Ben Neiman. And Hitchens came back, and it ended up being Hitchens, Bolton, and Gay got the most snaps at linebacker with Neiman, who still played, but he was behind those other guys. Do you think that will come at some point for a guy like Josh Gordon over a guy like McCole Hardman? I guess it's entirely possible. I think the biggest argument in favor of um, of, of Sorensen over uh, Juan Thornhill was the in general, most people believed it was because Sorensen knew the defense better. I can't imagine Josh Gordon knows the offense no. better than McCole Hardman. I, I do wonder if maybe the ship sailed on Josh Gordon when you had that pass uh, that, that wound up being tipped and, and flew up in the air a million feet and then was picked off by mm-hmm. the Giants. Uh, by all indications, that was on Josh Gordon. I don't know if he ran the wrong route or what was going on there, but... Um, I don't know if he just got his his few chances and and didn't take enough advantage of him that the ship has already sailed on that. Let me ask you this about Travis Kelsey: is he is his difficulty are his difficulties just simply that he's thirty two and the amount of hits he's taking is just harder to get back up at thirty two than it was at thirty? It's possible, but I I feel like like I said there have been you know a couple routes here or there last couple of weeks that he's just dropped and it's not necessarily ones where he's gotten hit it's been in like maybe tight windows or sometimes not um he's just dropped it and that doesn't seem like a like a physical thing to me like when I see him catching the ball and and kind of doing that low like he he kind of gets low and and just kind of smoothly darts around and then he's good at not taking big hits a lot of times that makes me think that's not the issue I I don't know it just seems like everything is just a little bit off. You had moments where you, you saw vin- you saw this vintage offense on the, the the drive where they had to close out the the Packers. Mm-hmm. Um, you had it played just like that to Kelsey on a it was a second or a third down, and it was beautiful. They got Kelsey wide open. Mahomes found him. It was he caught it. It was right there. And then of course the rollout, the the pass to McCall or um, to Tyree Kill to to get the or the first down where they could kneel it out. Um, I guess that, yeah, that's entirely possible. I just wonder if he's thinking more about getting hit because getting hit hurts more than it ever did. But, it, yeah, it's also the, I don't know, even the long ball. There was a, a potential long ball against the Packers that really would have put him away in the fourth quarter to Tyreek Hill that was like he had his receiver or he had his uh, coverage man toasted. There wasn't a deep safety or either that or the deep safety was po- focused on something somebody else. So it was it was – just Hill, he had his guy toasted, and 
and Mahomes just missed him by about yeah. a yard and a half, and Mahomes never misses passes like that. No, and I know which one you're talking about. I think that was like second and ten. They were near their own end of the goal line. And then the very next play was another play that got um, kind of all 22'd where people are screen grabbing it because they were showing, I think the next play on third and 10, he threw, tried to go like 15, 20 yards down the field in the middle. I forget who he was looking for. And they showed in the all 22, uh, there was a bust in coverage and that the running back, uh, whichever one it was, whether it was Gore or Williams in for the Chiefs at the time, uh, just went out to the flats on that play, and there was nobody on him. He would have got, you know, easy first down. And it's just it's just things like that we haven't seen in the past. So, again, I think this all just kind of goes down to the fact that there's a little blame everywhere, right? I'd love somebody to just flat-ass Patrick Mahomes. And he, he would never say it. He'd say something like, well, you know, we're all having our difficulties, but we're, you know, ultimately at the end of the day it's on me and we all have to work harder. That would be his answer. But I think it it, it is fair to straight up say, hey, man, when you're in the pocket, do you have trouble seeing over the line? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't make him a weak player. It means that the guys in front of him are humongous, and he isn't. But I think the question's worth asking, because if that's the case, Andy Reid needs to be aware of that. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we'll let you hear from the KU defensive coordinator, Brian Borland. FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN weather from the KC... All right, welcome back in. This is RCST on KLWN, KLWN.com with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Um, I think I just doubled down on the KLWN thing, though. But now you really know where you're coming from. KLWN. Yes, that's right. KLWN, KLWN, KLWN. How many times can I say it? Um, Happy Veterans Day, by the way. Um, Our NFL betting season preview now turns into our NFL betting midseason preview report it is nice that it's now an 18 week season so we can just do this exactly halfway through the year through week nine instead of being like do we do it after week eight do we do it after week nine um so we're going to go through here a reminder of how this works at the beginning of the year pick all the division winners um we won't have adjusted odds on these but we pick the one seed in the wild cards then we pick uh who's gonna win the afc who's gonna win the nfc who's gonna win the super bowl and then we do some individual awards mvp players of the year rookies of the year coach of the year comeback player of the year uh, we do a, a midseason report where we can add more bets for myself since I had the preseason bets. You can only do a max of one per round, um, but Adam is going to have a chance to do everything for the first time now this year. So uh, the assumption is just that every single bet is a $100 bet. Last year, I made about $1,500 on these. We'll see how I'm doing this year as we go through these. So we're going to start in the AFC. Go ahead and hit the music here. In the AFC East, first up, I had Buffalo winning this division before the year. I got them at minus 160. They are now the favorites at minus 500. Do you want to touch anything in this division? No. What's I mean, New England's coming on hot. Um, That's interesting. I think they, they're only half a game back of the Bills. Uh, is that all it is? Mm-hmm. From a value standpoint, that I would— still play them. Yeah, from a value standpoint, that might be something worth looking at because it's it's three point five to one. Whereas with Buffalo, you got to bet five hundred dollars just to win a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I I just can't. I think Buffalo is going to kind of run away with it. I I think um, their loss. What was their really terrible loss? Jacksonville. For Buffalo, yeah. 
I think that was an anomaly, and, and I, I love the value you could get from New England because they are coming on really strong. Uh, but no, I, I'll have to stick with Buffalo. You make no money on that bet, but give me Buffalo. Okay, so you will go Buffalo minus 500. I'm not touching this one this week because of the fact I already do, have Oh, well, wait, do I have no, you to don't make have a bet? No. I don't even have to make a bet on the AFC No, East? you don't. Oh, then no, I'm not touching Not anything. on a midseason report. If this was preseason, I would make you make a bet on something. No, if I don't not. have to nope. bet anything, then no, I want nothing. Okay, I want so nothing not to do it. with this division. I'm not touching it because I already have Buffalo minus 160 before the year, and I'm not getting better odds than that. Okay, on to the AFC North. Um, before the season, I took Cleveland plus 150. If I wanted, I could double down on them. They're plus 450 now. Baltimore's the favorite, minus 175. Are you touching anything on this division? No. Um, I, I like, I mean, it, it seems like Lamar has learned how to pass. Um, you know, well, not. I mean, he, he's, he's more consistent. Yeah he's, yeah, he's improved, I guess, is what I should say. He, he could always pass, but he's, not, he's now passing at a level that uh, he can even pass when the other team knows he has to pass, and that's an improvement. Um, you know, 175, are, they're not terrible, but uh, no, I'll, I'll stay away from that. Okay, I uh, am not going to touch this one either. I, I thought about taking Baltimore. You try to make your mo- some of your money back. I know. I just figure I'll just roll with it. it. It'd be one thing if Cleveland was getting, like, in the initial preseason odds, I was getting them at, like, plus 300. But a plus 150, like, I, I don't want to double down on them either. It would be kind of interesting taking maybe like Pittsburgh at 550, but I do think Cleveland's a much better team. I just think Baltimore wins the division, so I, I don't know. I'm not going to touch it. I don't I don't love the odds there. Um, AFC South is all Tennessee. I mean, they are... You'd have to bet $100 just to get $1 uh, to win on Tennessee. I got them before the season minus 120, so I love that pick. Uh, would you venture into Indianapolis 20 to 1? Um, No, I wouldn't. I, I No, I wouldn't. They've already lost to him That's twice. That's all I really say. So. Yeah, I, I think, in spite of losing Derrick Henry, that might have that might have something to do with how, you know, losing Derrick Henry might have something to do with how they perform in that home playoff game. But this basically all but assures Tennessee's going to get a home playoff game. So no, I no. You want to throw anything on Houston thousand to one? That'd be something. It'd be like that <laughs> that blues guy a couple of years ago who laid a right. bet on the blues, but no, no thank you. Yeah, much different sport. Okay, uh, on to the AFC West since neither of us are touching any of those. I, I took the Chiefs before the year at minus 275. I could get them now, double down at plus 160. Chargers are plus 160. Um, I am going to go with somebody here, but I, I, I'm interested. Are you going to take anybody in this division? I want the Chiefs. I like the value there. For all intents and purposes, this, uh, this division is now tied. I know technically the Chiefs are behind, but they completely control their own destiny. Um, yeah, give me give me Kansas City. I, I think uh, they have an opportunity to play the Chargers again. They they play Denver and Vegas twice this weekend. We'll have a lot. You know, if they lose this weekend, I'm basically burning money. But I really think Kansas City is feeling it right now, particularly defensively. It's insane to say I still sort of trust this offense to find themselves. And I, I'm saying that because we have evidence from this season. It's not like I'm just going back to previous seasons. We saw at some time for four weeks, for the first month of this season, even though the team was 2-2, two and two, this offense was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so at least there's some evidence to think that this group of players can find themselves once again. You, I don't know that in the Patrick Mahomes era you're going to have many opportunities to get the Chiefs at anything better than plus 160. So, yeah, give me 100 on the Chiefs. 
That's a good one. I, I thought about doubling down on the Chiefs. I thought about taking the Chargers. I I think just an odds play. Las Vegas at plus 550. Does that not seem too much? Well, yeah, but I think it's so easy. You mean like in terms of Vegas might know something? No, I just I just mean like I like, thought they should be closer to like three to one. Like oh, so New you, England you, is you plus think they're not fake? You you think they're they're being overlooked here? Yeah, so I, I'm gonna actually go with Las Vegas plus five fifty because here's the thing: if Las Vegas wins this week against the Chiefs, what are they next week? Are they up to where the Chiefs are, like plus one sixty? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, they're tied I, I, for the division lead right now. I think everybody is expecting Vegas to fall apart. You know, they were kind of humming, uh, and then the um, the rugs thing happened, and then the oh, who was that idiot making threats with uh, his gun on TikTok or whatever, Twitter or whatever it was. I don't know. I can just. I really can see the Raiders. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm. You know, this is not a walkover for the Chiefs. The Raiders gave the Chiefs trouble in two games last year and won one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that. I don't know. I'm just. I'm. I can imagine Vegas. All of you know, they're five and what three right now? Mm-hmm. Five and four. Five and five three. And three. Yeah. I can see them in four weeks being five and seven and everything has just collapsed. No, it's definitely possible. I just, for me, it's an odds play. Like, I'm taking the Chargers and Chiefs if all were even, but uh, for instance, do you think the Raiders have, because this is what the odds are saying, the Raiders have four times, or I guess the Chargers have four times better chance to win the division than the Raiders. Four times? Yeah, don't they already have one up on them in in Vegas, too? I think Chargers did win that game. I don't know. It was a Monday night football I just like the odds here. I'm going to go with Las Vegas plus 550 and we'll just See where that puts me. Uh, On to the NFC side of things. NFC North, if you wanted to take the Packers, I got them before the year at minus 160, so feeling good about that. Right now, they are minus 2,000. Would you touch anybody in this division? No, I think the Packers are going to win it. Yeah. Um, And that's, again, that's that's worse odds than... I stayed away from the AFC East, and that's worse odds than Buffalo's getting. So, Uh, no, I I don't. We got another 1,000 to 1 with Detroit. Uh, NFC South... Features the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus 800. I got them minus 200 before the year, so I'm not doubling down on them. I don't believe in in the Saints at plus 550. They're too up and down. Jameis Winston's out. Honestly, you could convince me to take Atlanta 35 to one just because of the odds. I mean, they're coming on. They're what five and four now. Yeah, you just you need Tampa to really yeah collapse. And I, I don't remember Tom Brady ever being a part no. of a team that. Falls apart. That's why I'm not taking it. I remember Josh McDaniels being a cup part of a couple teams that fell apart late. But yeah, not Tom Brady. No. Uh, so are you touching anybody there? No. Okay. NFC East. If, Dallas. Now there were there was some there's some mm-hmm. scuttlebutt about Philip Rivers maybe taking a call from yeah. New Orleans. Maybe that's um, the play then. That that would get me peeking at it, but mm-hmm. no, right now no. Okay. Uh, NFC East. Dallas is up to minus sixteen hundred. I got him plus one twenty before the year. Feeling good about that one. Um, Philadelphia is fourteen to one. I, I don't know. This feels like you'd have to bet Dallas, and those odds just aren't good. Who? You had a plus one twenty? Yeah. Before Who else the season, did they think could possibly win that division. They were all scattered together uh, because Washington won it last year. Yeah, but it was a turd because Dak Prescott went down. Yeah, and no, I think they were the favorites. It's just that everybody was jumbled all together. I don't know why that was only plus one twenty. Looking back on it now. Um, Sucks now though. It's minus sixteen hundred. Good for you, man. You got yeah. you got good odds. No, I don't want anything to do. Okay, in the NFC division. West, I'm, I'm definitely taking, I'm taking action on this division though. 
Yes, so am I. And uh, uh, before the season, I got Seattle plus 280. I could get them now and double down at 25 to 1. Russell Wilson coming back this week, but they are so far behind. This is a two-horse race at this point. Uh, Arizona's minus 225. Rams are plus 190. I'm assuming you're taking one of those. Taking the Los Angeles Rams. I think um, I like Stafford, um, Odell Beckham over the course of the last. I, I do, for the same reasons I didn't necessarily want him on the Chiefs, I might be skeptical of him on the Rams. Um, I do think you need a definitive alpha dog in a locker room to deal with Odell Beckham. Um, If this turns out to be a... If he signed with the Rams because the Rams were the only team offering a two-year deal, then I hate this Mm -hmm. signing. I'm okay with it on a one-year prove-it deal. I think he will be fine on that. Um, I think Matt Stafford is a legitimate MVP candidate, which there's some more odds we'll get to. Yeah, give me the Rams. I am going to go with the Rams as well. I, I just like that plus odds. Honestly, whichever of these teams, Arizona or the Rams, were plus odds, I probably would have taken them. But What I, if they were blo- both if they were plus, even? Like, plus 100? I would have gone with the Rams. I would have leaned I the would, Rams. Yeah, right. I would too. Yeah. So, yeah, we both think even money, we're, we're taking mm-hmm. the Rams, and we're getting action. So Love that. Okay, uh, on to who we think is going to win the AFC. I got Buffalo plus 550 before the year. They're down to plus 250. I'm kind of between a couple teams here. Who are you going with? I like Kansas City at 650. Okay. It's a homer pick. If all these things were even, I would actually, I would put, I think it, it's, the odds are right now where they should be. Buffalo in first, uh, Tennessee in second, although I might put Baltimore ahead of Tennessee with Derrick Henry being out, although I do still think Tennessee is a um, is a, 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 a threat. Um, but just based on value, I really like Kansas City at 650 to one. Or I mean, um, plus 650. Chargers at plus 900 is interesting. Browns, Patriots at 1600. That's interesting. I'm going to go with the Ravens plus 550. Like, the Ravens have, I think, been a lot better football team than the Chiefs. And they're only slightly better than them in the odds. So if I take Baltimore plus 550, that basically means, because I got the Bills at plus 550 before the year, that basically means. I would have plus 275 odds of either the Bills or the Ravens making the Super Bowl. You also know that if the Chiefs wind up winning the AFC West and they jump up and tie the Ravens, the Ravens would, if both teams win mm-hmm. their first round game, the Ravens would then be hosting the Chiefs in the second round of the playoffs. Which makes it tougher, that's for sure. So I'm going to yeah. go with Baltimore plus 550. I like uh, that one. On to the NFC. I got the Packers before the year at 6-1. to one. They're about the same, plus 550. A lot of teams that could win the NFC. Who would you go with? Um, I like the Packers, even though I'm I'm still uh, very indignant at Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think this situation goes uh, one of two ways. I think there are players in the Packers locker room who are mad at him uh, for lying, for misleading. But I also could very much see it going, he gets really pissed. Feels like he's got something to prove, goes nuts, uh, plays at an MVP caliber level, and the Packers just, you know, storm through the NFC playoffs. Uh, I think Tampa Bay, I mean, Tampa Bay looks great, but at 550, I kind of look at that. I look at five plus 550 for the Packers to win the NFC, I view as better odds than the Chiefs at plus 650. I took that bet, so of course I'm going to take this bet. I'm just not going to touch this one. Um, like I said, I already had the Packers plus 600 before the season started, so I'm not going to take worse odds at plus 550. 
I guess I could technically double down there. That'd be basically the equivalent of that. Um, but I just, I just won't touch it. I just feel comfortable with the Packers. And then Super Bowl champion. That's another one. I took the Packers plus twelve hundred. They're down to ten to one odds there. Um, the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are tied for the favorites at six to one. Do you like anybody specifically for the Super Bowl odds? I might. This is going to sound weird. Um, I'm, I'm kind of eyeing the Buccaneers, uh, even though I just bet money on Green Bay to win the the NFC. But in in to kind of maybe as a hedge, mm-hmm. I think I'll take but the Buccaneers at plus six hundred as a hedge to my Packers bet. I don't mind that at all. I'm I'm just not touching anybody here again because. I don't know. I just I feel comfortable with Green Bay twelve to one. I just we'll live with that and we'll see what happens. And, and maybe we'll adjust. Maybe we'll do a uh, quarter or I don't know three quarter report or something like that in four weeks and, and we can adjust again. Okay. Uh, On to the NFL awards list. We'll start with MVP. I took Justin Herbert before the year started at twenty to one. He's at fourteen to one, but he's like eighth on the list. So I I probably am going to have to hedge with somebody here. Josh Allen, Tom Brady are the co favorites right now. Who would you go with? Matthew Stafford, mm. I think getting Odell Beckham turns him into a legitimate MVP candidate that he already was. I think it was second or third in touchdowns. Um, on a side note, uh, Patrick Mahomes is now plus 5,000. I wouldn't pick that, but when you factor in that Patrick Mahomes is still, what, third in the NFL mm-hmm. right now in touchdown passes, uh, if he turns things around, that's a heck of a value bet. But I like Stafford at plus 750. I think either of those with Kyler Murray and Stafford in that 700 to 750 range would be great bets. I also love Lamar Jackson. 10 to 1. What you were talking about earlier, he's just become a more polished passer. Uh, he's 3 and 1 when having to come from behind in double digit games, which the rest of the NFL is struggling, and we haven't seen that in the past. It's new progression. And also, the Ravens' defense actually is not ranked out that great this year. Um, they've actually been okay, but they just give up a ton of big plays, which maybe that's correctable down the season. But I just think that. If he leads them, which is very much in the realm of possibility, like the one seed or the two seed in the AFC, he absolutely has to be in that discussion. I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson at 10 to 1. I just think those odds are too good. Like, I think he should be in the same realm as like the Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford there. So I'm going to take Lamar at uh, 10 to 1 there. But I mean, how did we both avoid Patrick Holmes at 51? How did we do that? I really like that, man, but I. I... I don't know. I ju- I said earlier. I think the Chiefs have it have it in them to turn their offense around. And fifty to one—that's incredible odds. Yeah, it is. As much as I said in the Patrick Mahomes era, you're never going to get better odds for the Chiefs to win the division <laughs> than one plus one sixty. You're never going to get better than Mahomes at fifty to one. He's the same odds as Derek Carr. He's below Ryan Tannehill. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Offensive Player of the Year. This is what I took Mahomes in before the year. He was plus six fifty. Um. I don't even see Patrick Mahomes on here. Looks like he's down at 50 to 1 as well for offensive player of the year. I'm going to go with uh Cooper Cup or not Cooper Cup. He's a favorite. This is weird by the way. Cooper Cup's plus 120. You have to go all the way down to 16 to 1 to find the next best guy. Is Cooper Cup that big of a favorite? Seems to be. I'm surprised usually when guys are that big of a favorite, they venture into the minus territory. Yeah. But it's weird cuz it's a receiver and I get it. He's had an unbelievable year. But it's just odd. I'm, I'm going to go with the guy second on the list. Kyler Murray at 16-1. to 1. Like, does that not feel like, oh, Kyler Murray's so great? You know, like, because MVP and Offensive Player of the Year, they sometimes like to give to two different guys. Yeah, one guy wins it. Mm-hmm. It's usually the quarterback that doesn't win MVP. Yeah, and that feels like Kyler Murray. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. I, I think he turns out to be, uh, uh, you know, I think he has an amazing second half. Be, 
what I just said about the Packers. I think they kind of come together over this. Uh, us against the world. He really, you know, goes off. Um, I think somebody else takes down the MVP, but as a result, Rodgers takes uh, Offensive Player of the Year, especially at 35 to 1 odds. All right, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I had Chris Jones before the year at 50 to 1, so I need to hedge with somebody. I'll just take the favorite. Miles Garrett's been unstoppable this year at plus 250. I'm surprised he wasn't minus odds, to be honest. Yeah. Um, he's plus, so I guess, I guess I'll, yeah. I, I'll take him. Miles Garrett, yeah. Okay, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. I got Justin Fields before the year, plus 750. Had a really good Monday night game, but I, I don't think he really has the chance of winning right now. Jamar Chase, Mac Jones, the favorites. Would you go with anybody here? I'm eyeing Mac Jones just because he's kind of really turned it on lately. Um, I think Jamar Chase is the runaway favorite, and I don't like that he's at minus odds, so I'll stay away. Okay, I'm going to actually touch Javante Williams. Just had over a 100-yard game. He might be finally overtaking Melvin Gordon there. And if he has a strong finish to the year, the Broncos find a way into a seven seed. Who knows? Maybe he uh, gets it at 25-1. to Defensive rookie of the year, I took Gregory Rousseau, 20-1. to I'm just not touching this one. Do you like anybody? Agreed. Micah Parsons is in minus territory. <laughs> I'm leaving it alone. Coach of the year, I got McVay at plus 2,000 before the year. I'm going to go with Mike Vrabel at plus 750, though. I was just going to say Mike Vrabel. I mean, they have the easiest schedule the rest of the way in the NFL. They're already overperforming. They're going to probably end up the one seed. If, and if they and on top of that, if they get the one, one or two seed, um, I think he was in line to win that anyway. If they hang on and hold on to the one seed without Derek There's no Henry, way he doesn't get he it. He absolutely yeah, gets it. Yeah, 100%. Okay, last one, comeback player of the year. I took McCaffrey before the year at plus 800, but he got hurt, so he's not going to win it. I'm going to go with uh, Dak Prescott's the overwhelming favorite, minus 500. I'm just going to put a little cheese on Joe Burrow because I don't think, like if the Bengals figure it back out again, I think he's back in this conversation. It annoys me that Dak Prescott is minus 500 because he's so obvious, which I guess that's why. Um you know, whatever. Give me give me a hundred bucks on deck. All right. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our NFL midseason report. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU has three more games left in the regular season, I guess the season Football, for them. Yes, KU football. Should probably clarify there. Uh, taking on Texas on Saturday. Kickoff six thirty. Pre-game starts at five. You're on KLWN. You can also hear it on our sister station one hundred five nine Kiss. Uh, and then they'll play at TCU the week after that. And then they come back home the weekend of Thanksgiving and take on West Virginia on Senior Night. Now, there's something Lance Leipold brought up in his presser the other day. Um, you've been playing teams the past couple weeks. You know, you look at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. A combined one loss. Kansas State six and three, like you're playing good opponents, and now these last three, I believe all three teams have a losing record right now. Texas four and five, they've lost four in a row. TCU just got a big upset over Baylor, but they're still below five hundred. And then uh, I forget if West Virginia is. I, I think they're four and five after the loss to Oklahoma State last. Yeah, they're week. four and five. Okay, so everybody is four and five. Um, that would mean that this is a quote unquote more winnable stretch of games for KU. If you had to power rank. Which of these games is the most winnable to which is the least winnable? Where would you go with it? Well, West Virginia is, I think, the most winnable. I'm sticking with them. I know they were the popular choice early on. Um, I still am going with them. I looked earlier, and I believe I saw them as the worst with the worst point differential. 
uh, point differential I kind of use to guide me a lot in in uh, baseball, but I also think it, it holds merit in football. Texas actually has a pretty decent point differential despite their putrid record. Um, well, putrid by Texas standards. We would be thrilled to be where they are. But I, I do think I, I just I like West Virginia. I think it's the only home game left on the schedule. Mm-hmm. I think that means something. I think it's probably going to be an 11 a.m. 11 a.m. game. Um, I've said many times before how I feel about uh, an opponent coming in. Uh, it, you know, on an 11 on an 11 a.m. game, uh, I think that opponent is at much more. The, the road team is at more of a disadvantage at 11 a.m. than any other time slot in college football. So I think that plays a role. Um, I can see that just being a you know a, a 31 20. 31-21 type game, so I, I think I I don't I, if as we sit here if you had if you gave me even odds I would pick West Virginia to win it, but if I had to pick the most winnable game, factoring in that I think they're the worst team in the Big Twelve, uh, the worst team besides KU in the Big Twelve, um, and factoring in that that game is at home, factoring in that it's eleven o'clock in the morning game, yeah I'd say West Virginia, and I mean this all comes back to the idea that KU is going to have to play, like. They're going to have to have their A game that specific day and hope that the team they're playing is not on their A game that specific day. That's kind of a given at this point. So it, it probably does just come down more to that. It's probably less about the opponent and more of which is the day that KU just happens to have their good game. But it does uh, kind of come with a re- little bit of roulette of which opponent uh, that comes against. I, I kind of think there's a part of me that wants to say the Texas game is the second most winnable because I agree with you. The West Virginia game is the most winnable. It's senior day. It's at home. It's a cold game. Like you said, possible 11 a.m. kickoff. And um, it's against a team that doesn't have a great offense. Did you hear Bo Davis going nuts on his team, by the way? No. He's a Texas assistant. Oh, um, actually, yes, I did. The defensive line coach, yeah. I think. Yeah. That was fantastic, by the way. Yeah, he went insane. Yeah. Um. So, I don't know. Maybe that I think it's fired a- up. Yeah, but I think it's a bad sign that somebody recorded it and let it leak. Yes. That, tell me, that tells me right now there's turmoil in that program. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the West Virginia, though, one is is the most winnable, I think, without a doubt. The question is what's second most winnable. I think just based on, like, the personnel who you're going up against, I think TCU is probably more winnable than this game. They've been a little more inconsistent, but if if it's the... Like, TCU made a quarterback switch, and maybe is that the difference and, and helped them beat B- Baylor, and now they're playing with a, uh, you know, extra fire because Gary Patterson got fired to where maybe that changes things. I'm just worried that with as bad as KU's defense has been, Texas, at the very least, through all their problems, has shown they can be an explosive offense. And with, with Bajon Robinson looking like one of the best running backs in the country. Like, I could see him going for, like, 250 all-purpose yards. I could also, yeah, I, I, could see, uh, I could see that game being, like, 63-31. to 31. Mm-hmm. You know, like, just a yes. game that KU is never in, but it looks it just looks fun on the scoreboard. Uh, yeah, I think the, the thing about TCU and, and this theory kind of went out the window, at least in, in game one without Gary Patterson. I thought the fact that they were not letting Gary Patterson finish the season after coaching there for 21 years, one I thought was uh, kind of a crummy move by the administration. Well, they offered it to him. He said oh, he you didn't, didn't want take to. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that um, then that changes things. My my first thought was that was just gonna that I felt that without Gary Patterson, the team would just fall apart, mm-hmm. and because they don't really have anybody to rally around now. 
Uh, but that that theory um, goes away now that they, they beat Baylor, who is a good team, I think is still in the college football rankings. What are they, 16th right now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, that – I don't know. I really thought TCU was just going to kind of collapse. Not You know, it, had Gary Patterson stayed, I thought they could have, you know, come together and won six or seven games on his way out the door. But I didn't see that happening with him not being part of the program anymore. But they turned around and they beat Baylor, who was a good team. So I don't know. So that's why I put them behind West Virginia. But I would agree. I think Texas, even on a bad day, can really fire up the score and light up the scoreboard. And I just don't, you know, I don't see KU being able to keep up with that. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at because of the defense. You need to be playing an offense who's not as good, and TCU's hasn't been as good as Texas. That's not to say that they don't have talent and guys that can be explosive, and they've shown a high ability to uh, run the football at certain times this season, which definitely is scary. And again, I mean, this all goes back to KU's not going to be picked in any of these. KU is they probably going to be, be they'll be at least I think double digits every seven, game. Right? I would think seventeen. Yeah. Probably. I mean, Kansas State point was... dogs every game, I think. Kansas State was 24, right? Depending, depending on what West Virginia... Yeah. Depending on what West Virginia does the, the last couple... The next couple weeks, I think KU will be at least a seven... At least a 17-point dog against every single one of these teams. The one thing that, that keeps it going for me, I guess, with the Texas game is the fact that you have had that recent success in the series. But I don't know how much that matters. Uh, just in general... Um, you have a new coach, you have different players, you haven't played them in a couple of years because you didn't have the game last year. With TCU, you have had a lot of close games in the series, but after you won the butt fumble game, it feels like it feels like all those close games stopped. The last couple of years when you met TCU, you've been blown out. How much do you factor that into your decision? Not very much either way. I think a big question for all of this is going to be how much does Lance Leipold plan like game plan for each individual opponent versus how much does he just still trying to look ahead to the future? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that'll matter a lot. I I don't put even honestly, man. Even even the Texas success lately, I don't I don't put a lot in. I actually part of me wondered with the Charlie with the success Charlie Weiss had against TCU. Part of me wondered is if it was because um, Gary Patterson ran a pro-style defense and Charlie Weiss was just used to going up against a pro-style defense, whereas every other coach that that um, uh, that Gary Patterson was going up against, uh, you know, the reason he was so successful is because it was a pro-style defense and other teams were play were planning on a college defense. Whereas you know, and I think that may have played into to YKU. So in that that regime is no longer here. So I, I I will go. Um, yeah, I I, I, I still I, I don't see how how they would correlate. Yeah, maybe from a confidence standpoint, but I I could also see Texas getting up twenty one to nothing right out of the gate, and that confidence goes away. I do think there's something to be said though, and this I guess applies for both Texas and TCU because both are road games against Texas opponent schools. There is something to be said with all the conversations we've had or we did have last week about, you know, how much can you really 
as a as a bunch of players value the in-state opponent aspect against Kansas State when you only have 19 guys when they have over 50 and only a handful of those 19 guys are actually playing for KU like uh, there's only so much you can value that rivalry KU has a lot of guys from Texas you think they're pissed that the Longhorns overlooked them oh I'm sure I'm sure that that has to be part of it I mean somebody asked Lance Leipold a question about that and he said you know I think maybe there is a little bit of an aspect of you know if you are from the state of Texas and you go and play high school football, like there is a thought in your mind, like I want to be recruited and go to the University of Texas. And so maybe that's a, a part of why they've had recent success in that series. Um, but I think I'd probably still list it out. West Virginia 1, TCU 2, Texas 3. You think Sark's out the door after this year? After one year? I don't think so. But I, because I, it sounds so crazy. I, I don't remember how much they gave him. The buyout would be so expensive. Would be but huge, we know but Texas... I, has the pockets, right? Texas is the kind of program that they've got the money where they can say at, at any given second, if we don't think this is our guy anymore, mm-hmm. we can get rid of him. Now, I'll say this, though. I think they still have, like, they've gotten the, the chunk of the tough opponent. Like, you've played Iowa State, you've played Baylor, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma out of the way. It's so almost like when K-State was sitting there with three straight losses. Yes. You were like, boy, they're kind of reeling, but they also just had a meaty three games. So there's a good chance they finish 7-5, and five, go to some bowl game, and then they're feeling a little better about where the trajectory of the program is. I'll say this, though, to that question. If Kansas beats Texas this week, <laughs> that's a real possibility, that might right? Be, yeah, that, I mean, it was for Charlie you might, Strong. You might fire him that day, that, yeah. that, that next day. That might be like when K-State, although I think it was pretty unfair, that what are your expectations? I mean, mm-hmm. Chris Kleiman, that's a good program. I, I'm surprised they he they he would he killed away two coaches back to back. Um I man, I, I think you're right. If, if KU wins this, I think we're talking about a, a coaching exchange at the University Which of is Texas. Wild in year one. That's just how downtrodden things have got with Texas. All right. Uh this is Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM one oh one seven and thirteen twenty KLWN. Coming up next, we're gonna let you listen in to some KU football audio we played for you earlier today. Some of Andy Kotelnicki. We'll play the rest of that on the other side. This is KLWN, depending on it.